weeks ago when uh, our oldest was a toddler. Brenda and I were at Walmart one day, and she decided to go to another department. And so she left Chrissy with me, which in retrospect wasn't a great idea. And you know what happened, right? I was looking at something, and I turned around, and she's just gone. And this panic set in, so I looked around and then tried to find her, and I couldn't find her anywhere. And so I found an associate, and I said, my daughter's gone. She's about this tall. She's got blonde hair. And, uh, and in a short period of time, you heard over the intercom, code Adam, code Adam, which is an amber alert for Walmart. And uh, Brenda would tell you that when she heard that announcement, she knew. She just knew in her heart. And she said, Steve has lost our firstborn child. <laughs> just gone. And if you've ever had anything like this happen to you or somebody you care about is in danger or their safety is in question, you're, you know that your life is just on hold. And you also know the relief when somebody comes walking up with your, your, your firstborn child and says somebody turned her in, just the relief when you know that that person is, is safe and is, is okay. Well, I tell you that story because that was basically Paul's attitude toward the Thessalonians. He had left in the middle of the night because his life was threatened, and he didn't know if they were still walking with God. He didn't know if they were resentful toward him for not being there with him, all these things. And so the passage we're going to look at today, uh, the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, it's where Paul expresses his passion for their spiritual health and also his relief when he found out that the church in Thessalonica was thriving and their affection for him was strong. And so uh, last week we saw, if you were with us, that Paul said, when I came to you the first time, I had the affection of a mother, and I had the intensity of a father. And when Silas and I showed up, we didn't just give you words, we gave you our very lives. And so in the passage we're looking at today, Paul models a passion for the spiritual health of others in the body of Christ. What he's modeling really is the heart of God. What we're going to read is God's heart toward you if you are a believer in Christ. We're, going to have, we're to have that same heart for others. And this passion for the spiritual health of others will look different for different people. It doesn't have to look like a preacher's passion for others' spiritual health. You have, my, you have a different gifting. You have a different, you're at a different stage of life. You have different circumstances. So it could look very different for you, but the heart is the same. That's what I want us to think about today. And so as we work our way through this passage, I want you to ask yourself this very simple question. Do I care about anybody else in the body of Christ, anybody else in the body of Christ, the way Paul cared about the Thessalonians? And I want you to think beyond your, your immediate family. You should have an intense passion for their spiritual health uh, that, that you should have. But I'm wanting to broaden it up and say, is there anybody else in the body of Christ that I care so deeply about? I want to simply challenge us to have this, this, this uh, concern for others in the body of Christ. So today we look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 3, 10. And remember that Paul had to flee Thessalonica in the middle of the night. Uh, he had left an infant church that was under great pressure. There were threats, there was opposition, and he legitimately did not know if that church would survive. You think about it, it's like just abandoning an infant. Is that, is that church going to survive? We read this in verse 17. 
But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, and then Paul breaks in, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Paul doesn't explain what he means by that. He didn't say, he didn't explain how Satan had hindered them. It may be that, that Paul understood that the legal challenges that, that prevented him from going back to Thessalonica, maybe that was uh, Satan's doing. Uh, it's possible that he, his thorn in the flesh is what had kept him from traveling and going back to Thessalonica. He attributed that as a, as a messenger of Satan. But whatever the, the case, Paul wanted them to know that it was not for lack of effort that he hadn't returned to them. Look at 19 and 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Can you imagine receiving a letter where somebody said, when I think about the return of Christ, the, my crown, the crowning fruit of my life is going to be you. And when Paul talked about a crown, he's not talking about the crown of a king. He's talking about the wreath that was put on the head of somebody that, that won a race, an, an athlete who was, was victorious. And, and so Paul said that the Thessalonians, not in a prideful way, but in a, in a very real sense, they were the crowning fruit of his efforts. For Paul, their spiritual well-being was what his ministry was all, all about. They were his glory and joy. Can you imagine getting a letter where somebody said that about you? Well, uh, John wrote something very similar in 3 John 1.4. He said, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Is there anybody else in the body of Christ you would say that about? I have such incredible joy if I know that you are walking with Christ. Paul said that. John said that. That's the heart of God. Well, given that Paul wasn't able to visit the Thessalonian church in person, he did the next best thing. He, he sent someone in whom he had complete confidence, Timothy. Look at 3.1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. When he talks about these afflictions, he's talking about the persecution that the, the Thessalonians endured at the hands of their countrymen. And Paul was very concerned that their afflictions would shake their faith and they would tempt them to go back to their old way of life. That happens sometimes. You've known Christians who have done that. When things get hard and there's opposition and there's persecution, they're like, this is too hard. I'm going to take the easy road. And they go back to the old way of life. And so he mentions that, that you already know that we, Paul and the Thessalonians, we have been destined for this. Paul never tried to make the Christian life sound like a life of comfort. Just put your faith in Jesus. Everything will be fine. He never gave that impression. 
And undoubtedly, Paul's convictions about suffering were formed by his own calling as an apostle to the Gentiles. You may remember in in Acts when Paul, immediately when he was converted, Jesus said to Ananias, go tell Paul, I have appointed him to be an apostle to the Gentiles and tell him that, quote, tell him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So from day one, Paul said, my assignment is to represent Jesus before people who don't know him, most of whom have never heard his name, and that that assignment is going to involve great suffering. Verse 4, for indeed when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass as you know. Even though Paul had warned them and repeatedly told them, The Christian life involves suffering. If you're faithful to to Jesus, you will suffer. That didn't guarantee that they would suffer well. It didn't guarantee that they would persevere. Verse 5, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so like a parent who is concerned about his, his or her kids, Paul couldn't stand it. He, he says it twice. He said, I could endure it no longer. He said, I had to send somebody. I had to find out about your faith. And, and there he's again, his fear was that the tempter had tempted them and that their labor would be in vain, that, that all of their effort would be for nothing. That's why I sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage them. And so it's worth pointing out, and this is, this is patently obvious, but it's worth p- pointing out that Paul was not somebody who said, you know, as long as I am faithful to my calling, that's what matters. Whether or not there's lasting fruit, that doesn't matter. The Thessalonians, they're responsible for their own walk with God. No, Paul said, no, I, I, I couldn't stand it knowing, not knowing whether or not you were still walking with Christ. And any good parent would be like this. What good parent is going to say, all I care about is that I have been faithful as a dad. I've been faithful as a mom. Whether my kids walk with Christ, that's on them, okay? That's their issue. No, if you're a good mom, a good dad... You just long for your kids to walk with Christ. And that was Paul's attitude toward the Thessalonians. He wasn't content just having a good ministry. He wanted fruit that would last for eternity. That's why he and Silas were so encouraged when Timothy returned and gave them a good report. Verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. He said, we got this report. Not only is your faith strong, your love for each other is strong, but they came and brought us this report that your affection for us is strong. You want to see us just like we want to see you. He says this. uh, He says this in verse 7. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, We were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Again, I think we can all understand this sense of relief. When somebody we care deeply about, we find out they're okay, they're actually thriving. You kind of exhale, all is good. I can start living again. Can you say that about anybody else in the body of Christ? I really live if I know that your walk with God is strong. 
That, that's the heart that we're talking about here this morning. Notice how it continues, verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we, night and day, keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. And so Paul's affection for them and his desire for them spilled over into praise and, and adoration. And Paul wasn't content just that they were doing well. He said, we want to show up in person and we want to give more to you. We want to fill in the deficiencies that exist in your faith. And so here again, Paul Paul had this this passion for their their spiritual uh, health. And and I can imagine reading this letter, it would have just been the most, most powerful encouragement in their lives. And so do you see Paul's heart, and do you see that this is a reflection of God's heart for those who follow Jesus Christ? And as we talked about last week, there's no backup plan for this. This is God's plan for spiritual maturity. I mean, he obviously works directly in people's lives, but most of what he does comes through other people who have his heart, who have his concern for others in the body of Christ. He works through people who have his compassion and his concern. So again, the question I want you to ask yourself, am I passionate about the spiritual health of anybody else in the body of Christ? Am I that passionate about the spiritual health of anybody else? Again, another way to ask it is, are there specific people that I can name? It's one thing to be you say, yeah, I love the body of Christ. I love all Christians everywhere. It's another thing to be able to say, yeah, I love Ken, and I love Luke, and I love Isaac. I am devoted to their spiritual health. That's what we're talking about. Now, some of you, this is, this is good news, honestly. We have people in our midst who excel in this. Some of you, you pour out your lives for others. You have this passion. I've been the recipient of this. This is one reason I know this. You care so deeply about people. You cry out to God on their behalf. You expend time and energy to build into their lives, to encourage them, to let them know that uh, you aspire for them to to walk with God as fully as possible. Uh, You invest incredible amount of time and energy in others whose spiritual health is in jeopardy. And so you model this, and, and that's a great asset to us as a church. But others of you may say, honestly, you know, I I do care about my spiritual health and I care about those that are the closest to me, but I've never, I've never really had that, that type of passion for others beyond me and mine. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. And there's, there's no shame in that, no condemnation if you don't have this yet. But sometimes there are some, some, some lies or some, some attitudes that need to be corrected. And in our time remaining, I want us to think about these. And uh, they're just simple, simple things to address so that we really have the heart of God for each other. We've got them listed in your, your bulletin there. But one is this, the attitude that says, I have nothing to offer others. And you may honestly think that. You may honestly think, you know, who am I? I, I? I can't imagine that God would use me in the life of other people. I want to say this as gently but also as directly as possible. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is a lie. That, that is not true. 
God has shown you a type of compassion. You have experienced a type of compassion that you can also show to other people. Intuitively, if you've experienced it, you can show it to other people. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has given you spiritual gifts, meaning you have a specialization in the body of Christ. There are unique things that God has given you to do in the body of Christ. God has given you his very spirit. He has given you things that others in the body of Christ need. And so it simply is not the case that you have nothing to offer other people. Again, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about anything complicated here. Uh, it may be that you would just, you would just uh, make a phone call, or text somebody and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. I wonder how you're doing. Uh, it, it may be that you just pay attention the way Paul did. You pay attention to the trials that other people are going through. And if you know somebody is suffering in some way, you write them a note, you give them a scripture, and you put it in the mail and you say, hey, I'm just thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I want you to be encouraged by this scripture. Can you imagine? What, what if, seriously, just consider this. What if every single one of us took five minutes a week to express this type of spiritual concern and spiritual aspiration for somebody else in the body of Christ. You can imagine that would be a life-giving thing. You would show up on Sunday morning knowing that there is somebody else here who cares about me. I am seen, I am known, I'm not anonymous. And so my encouragement to you is do not insult the God of the new covenant by thinking He hasn't done anything in my life worth anything to anybody else. He has, if you're a believer in Jesus. The second attitude that hinders spiritual compassion is this. I should leave this type of ministry to others more mature and more gifted. This is the don't try this at home mindset. And perhaps this idea of being passionate about somebody else's spiritual health is something you really, honestly, you think, you know, I know I would botch this. I know I would say the wrong thing. I would just say, welcome to the club, okay? you, You won't get everything right, and that's okay. God has taken care of that in the body of Christ. You can apologize. You can ask forgiveness. You can say, hey, I wasn't sensitive. I didn't say what was on my heart there. But uh, uh, this reluctance to engage others in the body of Christ is not the picture that's put forth in the New Testament. Paul never thought of himself as as some elite class, one of a very few people who could actually have an impact in the lives of others. I think there are 39 one another's in Scripture, mutual things we're supposed to do. If you take any of those seriously, you will be passionate about the spiritual health of others. Romans 15.5, for example, accept one another as God in Christ has accepted you. You imagine how powerful it would be for somebody else to look you in the eye and say to you, in effect, it would be awkward to actually say this, but, but to say, in effect, I know you've got your issues, I know you struggle with sins, but I accept you every bit as much as God in Christ accepts me. I am with you to the end. I am your brother. I am your sister. I will walk with you, whatever you're going through. That's a powerful thing. Or Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. If you enter into someone else's pain and you help bear their burdens, you will have an impact in their life far out of proportion to the amount of energy that you expend. 
this is something that every single one of us can and should do. A third attitude to confront, and that's the attitude, and I, honestly, I've, the reason I say this is that I've thought this. I need to conserve my spiritual energy. You ever thought that? I need to pull back. I need to protect myself because what if I need spiritual energy for me and for mine? Now, there's a kernel of truth here. Uh, we are not omni-anything, okay? We here are finite. We have limitations. Uh, we, we need to be careful not to spread ourselves too thin. Compassion fatigue is, is a real thing, okay? So I understand that. But we are wrong to think that we need to avoid the risks of love and we need to pull back and protect ourselves and conserve our compassion so that it doesn't run out. I would say to you that fundamentally, love does not work that way. It's not like you've got a gallon of love and once you use it all up, it's gone. What tends to be the case is that people who love from the heart, they have a greater capacity to show love. That's been my experience. I find that, that when I invest deeply in someone and I pour myself out on behalf of someone, yeah, it, it can be tiring, but, but I find that I have a greater desire and have a greater capacity to show compassion. When I kind of go through the motions and kind of pretend that I care about that, now that is exhausting, okay? I leave that going, oh, anything, give me anything but that. But uh, when I come away from a situation where I've, I've invested deeply in somebody, I have a greater compassion, capacity to love. And I think that's, that's the, the, uh, the experience of many. People who love extravagantly have a greater capacity to love. After all, Jesus said that through the Holy Spirit, you have rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit can give you love for more and more people. And so if you confront those attitudes, and I don't know if anything resonated with you there, but if you confront those attitudes, let me encourage you, if it's not your habit already, to take some simple first steps. And the first thing I'd like you to do is just identify a person or two where you can, can actually say, I want to be uh, passionate about this person's spiritual health. Somebody, probably somebody that's already in your life. And so if you teach a kid's class, or you teach, you help with the, the youth ministry, or you lead a life group, or you lead a Bible study here at Faith or in some other context, don't just lead a, lead a group. Don't just teach a lesson. Become passionate about the spiritual people under your care. Or maybe you've got a friend and you say, yeah, this is a good friend. We do all sorts of things together. But it's never occurred to you, I need to be passionate about his or her spiritual health. Or maybe you would take the risk and just ask God, say, God, is there anybody in my life you want to put on my heart? God has actually done that for me lately. He said, here's, here's a couple of people, Steve, I want you to be passionate about their spiritual health. You've kind of just been neutral. I want you to be passionate about their spiritual health. And once you identify somebody, uh, the, the simple first step to take is to pray for that person, pray for that person, and then secondly, engage that person in spiritual conversation. If you pray for somebody, it tends to fuel your, your compassion for that person. And, uh, and just engage that person about his or her walk with God. And you don't need to have all the answers. Uh, generally speaking, 
that's not what they're looking for. And you're not being a hypocrite if you don't always feel passionate about their spiritual health. You're not a hypocrite. You're just obedient if you care about them anyway. And I think you will find, like Paul, that the more you invest, the more passionate you will be about that person's spiritual health. And again, I would say this, some of you are are far down the road on this. I would say to others of you, if it's never occurred to you to be passionate about somebody else's spiritual health, I think you're going to find the dynamics might be a little different than you suspect. Uh, Yes, it will be great for that person, but you might also find that this is the thing that gets you unstuck in your walk with God. One reason why some people are lukewarm and one reason why some people are bored in the Christian life is that there's nothing at stake. There's nobody that really depends on me. And so this might be the thing that fuels your prayer. You might seek God like never before because it matters in the lives of other people. Being passionate about the spiritual health of others, it's not merely powerful in their lives. It's a powerful dynamic in your own life as well. And Brenda and I were about three years out of college, and we were trying to decide what to do for the rest of our, our lives. We came to the sense that I should uh, be a pastor. And so we were living in, in Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi. Anita and I share a hometown there. And uh, we talked to some people around town to get advice, people, pastors, others who are in ministry. What, kind, what, what needs to be true about me if I'm going to be a pastor? And I'll never forget what one man told me. He was a a pastor in the largest church in town. He told me, he said, uh, you need to make people think that you care about them. He didn't say you need to care about them. He said, you need to make people think you care about them. And I thought about a lot over the years. I'm like, God, deliver me from ever becoming that pastor. And so just to clarify, what I'm saying this morning, I'm not saying you need to fake it and pretend like you care about others in the body of Christ. I'm saying you actually need to care about them. You need the heart of God for them. You need to be passionate about their spiritual health. Again, can you imagine how powerful it is if somebody knows that you really live if they're walking with God? my observation, very few people know that somebody else really knows them and really cares about their spiritual health. The the culture of the church, the atmosphere in the body of Christ, it would be palpably different if we carried around with us this passion for the spiritual health of others. It would be awesome for, for others. It would be amazing for us as well. And so, God, we're asking you that you would give us this compassion. God, we see your heart toward us. You didn't spare your own son, and uh, you freely with him give us all things. We pray, God, that we would have the same generosity toward others in the body of Christ. And, God, thank you that there are, are many in this church who model this, who week after week give themselves away. And so, God, we pray that, that uh, this this desire and this, this passion for other spiritual health would grow, that it would be common, that it would just be normal. This is who we are. This is what we do in the body of Christ. And so, God, we're asking you to accomplish this in our midst. We pray, God, that you will give us the will and give us the, the motivation to take action on what we've talked about here today. And, God, we give tithes and offerings to you today. 
uh, we give back a portion of what you've given us. We say to you, we love you. Use these gifts for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.